Welcome to another edition of Living Courageously Exposed, hosted by Big Inside Out Adventures and yours truly, Jennifer J. Saunders. My friends call me Jay. Today, I'm really excited to have with me a woman who is becoming a dear friend and a mentor, someone who exudes happiness, someone who knows about the hardships in life and is still here to tell us about them and to share her experiences. I'd like to introduce you today, Carol Seavey. And did I say that right? You said it perfect. Oh, job. So one thing, a couple of things I know about Carol is that uh, she plays around on eBay. She's got a business on eBay where she sells items and she can tell you more about that. She has a business and, and a, the blog is called I'm a Happy Girl and it totally is fitting for this personality. She's mischievous. She's funny. She's a woman who knows some really hard things and yet continues to be a happy, happy soul and someone that, that you want to be around. So when I asked her today what her intention for this conversation was, she said that we still have voices no matter how old we are. Like we, you don't ever just arrive. So I'm excited to get in and have this conversation with Carol and just see what she has to say about that. So with that, Carol, welcome to Living Courageously Exposed. Thank you, Jennifer. You are it's great to be here. Oh my gosh. So I have to tell our, our listeners that we have had one heck of a time having this podcast chat happen. We actually scheduled it for last week and we got on the format and she could hear me, but I couldn't hear her. I was at a total loss of what to do. <laughs> and so we just talked on the phone for like 40 minutes instead. <laughs> And rescheduled. And today, I have been on my computer since 11 o'clock. And it's 11.47 right now. Seven minutes ago, we finally figured out how to make the sound work on both of our (laughs) 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 So, going along with the theme of you've you've never arrived. And everything is figureoutable and reschedulable. And uh, it's been an adventure to get here. So, Carol must have exciting things to say if we've gone through all of this to get here. Awesome. So, Carol, I always ask our, our listeners, or excuse me, our our podcast interviewers, what were you like as a child? Were you curious? Were you mischievous? What did you dream about? What were your hopes? I can remember thinking, I am so good at so many things. How can I pick what Olympic event I will do? Oh, my word. You are the first person who's given me that response. So good at so many things and what Olympic event. So what did you choose? <laughs> well, I was so surprised. It's, it feels like for the last 50 years, I was waiting for that Olympic event to show up. <laughs> <laughs> and so which one did you choose? <laughs> I chose the Olympic gold medal of life. Of, well, I love it. I love it. There's a lot of competitors in that one. There is. So how did you go about achieving that? Like as a kid, what? As a child? Yeah, what what goals did you, to get to this dream of where you're at now, what kinds of things did you set for yourself? Well, my first experience, I was a shy, quiet person, and I was keeping everything eternal, internal, watching, growing. I was the first grandchild of both sides. I have, actually, I actually have close to 100 first cousins. Uh, 100? 100. First cousin. Wow. And I'm the oldest. That is awesome. I thought 
Okay, I'm the oldest on one of my sides, and I think there's 27 or 28 of us. And I thought that was a lot. Wow. No, I really do. I really do. I have, my mom has um, eight in her siblings, and my dad has nine. Or they have eight total, and my dad has nine total. And I'm just three years younger than both sides. So I'm just a, a continuing person. And, of course, everybody adored me. All I needed, and my mom, it was a beautician, so I always looked perfect and adorable. And I just would open my eyes and smile, and I had everything given to me from someone. If someone didn't give it to me, someone else would. And um, it was really bad when I was three years old and other grandkids came along. Right. I was kind of irritated. <laughs> <laughs> but I always knew I was first, and I was the best. But very Just like a solid, I know I'm best. You can think it. It's okay. My parents were just wonderfully in love. They were high school sweethearts, and they were they just were passionate about each other, and I loved that. And um, my dad brought me home a pony. Oh, when I and that could do tricks when I was five years old. <laughs> and instantly, I decided that I didn't want to share this pony with everyone. All that work to catch the pony, get him on. So I rode my pony up and down the road um, in Ammon, Idaho. On Ross Road, I went up and down the road. On um, you realize that's like through the block from where we're I'm doing this podcast with you. Yes, I do. Awesome. So I would ride up and down Ross, say pony rides. I would have a line of kids in my field. One time around five cents, two times around ten. The parents were thrilled. <laughs> they didn't have to take him for pony rides. They could give him some money and they could go get the ride, and I would take care of it. And my dad figured I was a genius, and I figured I'd be a millionaire soon. Okay, that's pretty awesome, like, entrepreneurship at the age of five, six? Yeah, five, six. Wow. So did you keep track of how much you earned giving these pony rides? Well, my mom told me, my dad thought I was a genius. My mom told me that I should share. <laughs> and so which, whose advice did you actually take? Well, they all thought, they both thought they won. So, you know, they both did, and I always had a little money and could go buy Smarties at Kelly's Market down the road for my pony and me. We would share the, the Smarties. I, I didn't know that ponies like Smarties. They do. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's good information. So, listeners, if you're, if you're wanting to bribe a pony or make a best friend with a pony, get some Smarties. Smarties, yeah. So they shake awesome. their head up and down. <laughs> I can just I can just picture what that looked like. Little Carol, Blondie, out there with her pony and a big old smile on her face. Just uh <laughs> Yeah. And ponytails. My mom always had ponytails. And my pony was thirty two inches tall. Oh my word. How tall were you? I it was hard to get on. I had to practice. <laughs> That's fantastic. And so how does moving forward, how did this um this attitude of I am so good at so many things what am I going to choose in life uh how did that assist you like through junior high high school into college like where did that lead you well I was shocked that everybody didn't love me in first grade and second grade it was a big shock I was like uh don't you know who I am and and even the teachers would get irritated with me a little bit because I, I would talk to my friends a lot and so that was a shock 
the other shock was that it was harder. I was a great horseman. Man, I could ride a pony better than anyone. But I couldn't read like everyone. Oh. And uh, that was so frustrating. But I used my pony senses and my friendship. And so, honestly, first grade kindergarten, everybody started giving me the answers because they wanted me to go play and they wanted to ride my pony. Interesting. And that continued through high school. I never read really well. I tried, 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 tried. I didn't know I was dyslexia. I am. Okay. I didn't know that. But I was able to get really strong in other areas. Right. And so finding out that you had dyslexia, you, you knew that you were bright, that you were smart, but the reading obviously was a challenge. How did, how did coming to that knowledge assist you from, from there forward? I didn't come to that knowledge until I was an adult. Really? Okay. And, and what finally got you to that point? Like, how did you finally figure that out? Uh, my, my first child was going, going to school. He wasn't getting the reading. He was hating it. And I had flashbacks of me looking out the window and thinking, this is child abuse. I should be on my pony. It's a sunny day. And um, why are they making me stay in this room? Right. And uh, I remember just, he was heartbroken. He hated it. It was hard. And I made the decision in the 80s to homeschool him. And it was a very unpopular decision. Right. Right. And everybody laughed because they knew I wasn't very good in school <laughs> <I was laughs> Andrew, so when you say everybody who's who is this everybody well in my mind it was the entire Bonneville class of 1982 because they're like uh the only reason why she graduated is because I helped her in my mind right in my dad's mind he actually said it and my mom was my dad was like are you kidding me and my mom was like she can do it and I called my mom one day and said, Mom, did you know that A has three sounds? A-A-A-A. And she's like, uh, yes, I do. <laughs> Good job. And I taught all five children to read. Many of them had the same difficulties as me. One of them, I did like four different reading programs. Wow. But by teaching them, I was teaching myself. And I'm a fabulous reader now. That is really cool. So it wasn't it wasn't necessarily that you like did testing and things to find out because you were homeschooling your kids, or did you do some testing, or was it just through the process of watching their own struggles that then you're like, wait a minute, I can relate to that. That you started to figure out there's something not even quite right. I can learn this together with them. How did that come about? I figured it because my uncle is a, a mathematician. He works for NASA. Okay. And he can't read. And so we knew that this was in the family. But last year, I was in a college class, and I was, it's, we, we met once a week on Thursdays. I was teaching the class. I was tired. And I insisted that something was seven, 27. And the smartest girl in the class is said, no, it's 22. And I actually called her out on it because, you know, I figured I knew. And love her to death. And she kind of backed down. And then when I looked at it again, I realized she was right. And I realize now what I do get mixed up with. My twos, my sevens, sixes, nines. No wonder my checkbook never balances. 
So for those of you listening, if your checkbook isn't balancing, maybe just check for dyslexia. <laughs> just just say it. My husband and my dad are very good at directions. Okay. Every time I go somewhere, if it's if it's light, and then when I go to leave, I always turn the opposite way. Wow. Every time. Every time. Every time I go and to a store and I take an elevator when I come back down I always turn the opposite way every time even though I'll think about it okay what way is it what way is it what way is it you can count on it wow that is just that's just crazy well and it's, it's a cool thing that you know this about yourself are you able to laugh like have you been with it long enough that you're able to laugh you still find frustration oh, I think it's hilarious <laughs> that's I was hoping so <laughs> okay so Let's go to college, college years. What did you want to do when you grew up? Oh, I skipped college. I didn't, I wasn't going to go to college because I wasn't going to be humiliated. Okay. The only thing I would want to go to college for is the parties gotcha. and the social life. Sure. And I really missed out on that. I was a gymnastic coach. I was a horse. I was a rodeo queen. Ah, I love it. I was a rodeo queen and... And I just cherished that and the public speaking with that and the horse riding. And, and I was very successful with that. Warbonnet at Roundup, Rodeo Queen. And cool. I loved that. And I, did, I, w- I was a 4-H leader for 18 years, raised my family. Uh, I thought I was fine without college. And then through many circumstances, I actually started college one year ago and wow. one semester one year and one semester ago. Way to go, girl. Congratulations. And how, how is that moving along for you? Are you finding it challenging? Are you finding it exciting? Like, what is some of that for you? Well, the first time I started, I was all excited, freshman excitement, and I was taking five credits, and then I said, cuss, 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 cuss. Oh, my heck, this is real college. <laughs> real college. <laughs> Meaning, I have homework, I have to study on my own, I have to learn how to schedule my time, and whoa, there's a lot. Yes. Yes. So, yeah, so I made it through the first year, graduated, got A's without cheating. I was very vocal that I was there to learn and not cheat. And I, and I did have the ultimate test. My son, who I homeschooled, who's brilliant, was home on spring break, and I was taking my math test, and he was helping me with all of my math. And he's like, oh, for heaven's sakes, let me just take your final. And I handed him the computer and I said, do it. And then I said, wait, wait, this is why I'm in college. (laughs) So I can do my own work. And he's like, okay, whatever. And it took me six hours. I I don't know. It took me forever to do my final. And I got a 78 and I'm so proud of it. Oh, my gosh, that's really cool. Well, especially given the the background that that you had and and the mixing up of numbers and the feeling like you just, it wasn't for you and, and that you like were willing to face, I think you used the word embarrassment, uh, not feeling enough and sit in front of your computer. Like you totally had an out and, and were could have followed patterns that you did through. It sounds like most of your schooling and you're like, uh-uh, not doing it. Like this is on my own. Like that is so awesome. <laughs> how, how did that feel? Sometimes a 78 seriously is like, you may as well just give me straight A's. Oh, yeah. That was my Olympic moment. Ah, she chose math, ladies and gentlemen. 
my Olympic moment. That is so cool. I don't even have to take any more math. I for an, a bachelor's degree, I am done. Wow. Okay. So what uh, what bachelor's degree are you pursuing? I'm looking around, trying to remember exactly what it is. It's we take clusters. I'm at BYU Idaho. Okay. And you take clusters. It's okay. professional something amazing and wonderful. Professional okay. Olympian, probably. I, I like that. I, I, <laughs> I'm gonna. So if, those of you who are wondering, if BYU Idaho offers a class in professional Olympian, according to Carol, they do. Yeah, right. It's it's your degree. It's your degree. Yeah. It's for people over fifty only. Yeah. Really? <laughs> I'm teasing you. Okay. Okay. The look on your face made me think like you were totally serious and I'm thinking, they have classes for people only over fifty? That's really cool. <laughs> Remember when I said she was mischievous and funny? There you have it. That's just a small moment. Okay, so what we didn't tell people is that you and I met because we both had the opportunity to stand on the big red dot on the TEDx stage in Rexburg. And you shared a story that was so impactful for me. I know that there's a lot of lessons that you learned through this particular experience that weren't shared on the TED stage. Uh, because for those of you who may not know, it's a it's a short speech you have between 10 and 12-ish minutes, some can go longer. And so it's really challenging to get all of the information and the lessons from an experience. To, you know. So today I actually would like to, if you're okay with it, kind of expand a little bit on that TED experience and some of the bigger lessons that you've learned and, and how you're taking this experience and continuing to live as a happy girl uh, she titled her talk, Bald-Headed Moment. I'm going to just let you talk about that a little bit more. Like, if you want to share some of the stuff that you did inside, obviously share what your experience was. I'm going to just leave that up to you. And some of the emotions, some of the some of the heartache and things that you experienced, maybe the steps you took to move through those, and then how you're taking that experience and continuing to be having a limpid moment. <laughs> sure. In 2015, actually in December of 2014, I had had a surgery that uh, I had a bladder mesh and it had went crazy all over my body. And I went to University of Utah and when I looked at the doctors after I came out, they, there was five of them and they were splattered in blood. And I had- All them splattered in blood? They had blood all over them. And they, when I woke up, they had barely saved my life I had, they, they had snipped an artery where they were trying to take out the mesh and my, my bladder was hamburger oh and they, um, they said, you almost died. They, there was all, they were all women. Um, they were all, um, died the from the surgery or from, from, I almost bled to death. I almost okay. bled to death. Okay. Uh, they just said that was so scary. You know, it was like getting a needle out of a haystack and getting all of the pieces from from the mesh that was in your bladder. And I'll tell you what, um, they were so happy. They kept me, watched me. And um, when I actually was able, my bladder actually worked and I was able to pee, there was cheers in the middle of the night. They were so excited that they saved my bladder. That is really awesome. And I'm very happy that I have a bladder also. Yes. It's, I'm very, very happy. 
And I asked them at that point, I said, I have a lump in my stomach. I, you can't always feel it. Will you feel it? And they're just like, hey, that's not my part. We just made it through a really great thing. You're going to have to ask someone else. Uh, I continued. I was fine with that. I was happy, rejoiced that I was alive and that I could had had a bladder and I didn't have a bag. That was awesome. Went about my life. I kept having stomach problems. Then six months later, I, we thought I had omeprazole. I'm just happy. Generally, I just turned 50. All, everything looked great. And I jumped in the pool on the 4th of July, the hot pools, and I felt a pain from my neck to my ankles, just wow. sharp. Wow. And I am a swimmer, and I played, played hard with the kids, and my daughter said, I said, I'm done. And she's like, what? I said, I'm so tired. And I knew something was wrong because I am one to go, go, go. I went to the doctor the next day. My husband felt my tummy, and, and he said, we got to go in. And the doctor said, we're getting a CAT scan. And when he saw my CAT scan, he just said, I'm so sorry. He's a family doctor. And he called and he just said, he said, Jim, I am so, so sorry. It, she has cancer and there's metastasites everywhere. There's tumors all over in your body, everywhere from your chin to your ankles. And there's a huge 16 by 18 in your stomach, in your loins, groin area. We don't know what kind this is. And he just said, I, we, we give you a week to live. Wait, did you just say a week? A week, yeah. Oh, <laughs> okay. Like, it's not even me, and that's extremely shocking. Like, what? What? How do you even respond? I, just, or I collapsed. Um, I just collapsed. It was just like, what? Was this on a phone call, or were you face-to-face -face with them? It was a phone call. Um, he, he said, we have to do something immediately, and he's a friend of ours, okay. um, our, our, our family doctor, and he had me and Jim, my husband, on the phone, and he's just like, this is really scary. I am so sorry. He just kept saying, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Because I had been to different doctors six times and no one really, they just kind of, I'm just like, I don't know, something's going on. I can't eat and right. stomach's hurting. And, but because they didn't know what, it, what kind it was, but after really quick getting me into a bone, well, what did they do? Um, they went in to see what kind of cancer it was through my back. Everyone was pretty sure, they were very solemn that I was going to die. And I told my husband, everybody is sure I'm going to die, I can tell. One doctor, we went right into a surgeon, and he just said, how are you walking around? I don't even know how you're walking around. And there's nothing I can do. It's in and out of your heart, your aorta, like massive. Okay, I didn't even know that. Yes. It was in and out of my, my heart, and they could hardly see my heart. It was so squished. It was up through my neck, and I was having a hard time swallowing, coughing, and it was just through my bowels immensely, and my bladder. Oh, my word. But I had just had that surgery. Right. And through my legs and my groins and under my armpits, and but just massively in my stomach and my um, groin area. Wow. And so, heart. So they're trying to figure out what kind of cancer you have. They've given you one week. I, see, in my mind, I thought you, you had, I told somebody, I think they gave her two weeks to live. They gave you one week. Mm -hmm. How do you even, how do you even begin to process that? And, and what did they do to move forward? So you said they went in and, 
and did a back surgery to try and find out what kind of cancer it was. What were the steps? Because it had to be so fast. It was fast. They, they, we had a family dinner and everybody came over and we had a big party. Um, they, they take, they, I went, they did a biopsy. That's what they did. So they had to go through my, the best way was through my back and it was a big long needle and they were so quiet and solemn and, and I was, I was okay. I, my son had just passed away a little while ago before that. And my mom had passed away and I felt like I'm 50. I lived a good life. It's okay. So I was about partying and playing with my friends and having dinners and spending time with my friends. Yeah. So what was, what was that like emotionally? Like having, you now have the news, they've given you one way to live. And what is it, what is it like to then have a family dinner and, and be with your friend? Like what goes through your head? What do you feel? I was very, I was more quiet and solemn than I usually am. And that's always scary to everyone. Right. I started doing natural things, oils all over my body, um, frankincense and vitamin and orange is what I use. We just started looking at the natural ways to try to prolong my life so they could do something. Because right. you can't treat it if you don't know what it is. And it takes right. time. And I started just putting frankincense all over my body three or four times a day and orange and I'm not even sure what else, just try to eat better. But I couldn't eat really anyway. So everything I ate, I tried to just make it count, drinking and stuff. But I I remember one night after the biopsy, it was quick, they did the biopsy. I went to Cats, the show, with my friends. (laughs) Because because at this point, you didn't feel sick. You were just tired and struggling to eat. Yeah, I felt like I got kicked in the butt by a horse. It wasn't like a horse horse. It was like a, I got when they did the biopsy, but I just lay down and stretch. I can remember laying on the grass waiting for everybody to come because my husband dropped me off and he went home because they were all meeting me there from the biopsy. I went to the biopsy and he, I went to the college and then my friends met me there at the college oh my so we could go to cats. And my husband got, my husband said, I am not doing this. You are not dying. And I don't care what they say. And he got on with Huntsman's hospital okay. and my uncle happened. You go to cats. He gets on with Huntsman. He gets on with Huntsman's and he will not say no. He's like, I'm not losing her at this point. No way. Sorry. And he gets on with Huntsman's and they're like, we'll make a team for this is This is like a great challenge for them. Let's do it. Wow. That's what they do at Huntsman's. They save lives and yes, make miracles happen. Yes, they do. I, I have not had a lot of experience with Huntsman's. I went down last uh, fall with a friend and I was highly impressed with the the doctor and the nurses that were assisting her and they walked into a room and the first person they addressed was me and her sister who was there not even her they're like you're old news and but they <laughs> they told us exactly what was going on what what it meant they drew pictures they explained the procedure they were going to do we stood in the room like it was i was really impressed with with um, the few people that i met there and could just imagine the whole hospital filled with those kinds of people. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So, so now they put a team together for you, and what happens next? They said, it was Monday, they said, we need to get your results. As soon as your results in, let's, it should be in by Thursday, let's make an appointment. Okay, that's, that's almost the entire time you're supposed to have left to live. Right, right, right. You just got to get on top of this. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah I, I made it past the week. 
So I was like, well, look at that, guys. Whatever, you know, come on, man, love it. We're just, that, that was my thing. I wrote it on our board in our house for everyone to see. Come on, man, love it. Enjoy the process. We're, we're going to enjoy every moment, guys. And lots of family calling, talking. It was, you know, I was getting that old spoiled stuff back, you know. Right. I, I was about to say you got your childhood stuff back. <laughs> uh, kind of a tough way to do it, my friend. It, it, it was. It was. And my whole purpose in life was just living and being happy. Yeah. There was like no other stuff. It was like let it go, forgive. You just so yeah. We actually went to Huntsman's. Uh, um, they said if you feel any different, we're gonna schedule for next Thursday. All my doctor does there, he says all he does is lymphoma. Since they found out it was lymphoma, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. He said there's 60 kinds. Oh my word! And he only he does research on that um, most of the days and works once at. Sometimes at Huntsman's and sometimes at the vets in the hospital. All he worries about lymphoma. And he said, I give you 75% chance to live. We, I think we can do this. Oh, my word. And I'm like, see, get degrees. I'm good with that. Yeah, much better odds. Holy cow. Okay, so you're down at Huntsman's. You've now, like. No, no actually, no. I was scheduled for Thursday. Okay. Sunday, I got a fever uh, and I couldn't swallow. My throat was closing in. I called them. I can swallow liquid. Okay. I called them. They said, we have a room right now. Get down here. So we get down there in the middle of the night. They're like, now. Like, how long? And I said, we can get there in four hours. We're like, okay. So we throw our stuff together. We get down there. We get settled. It's like two in the morning. I couldn't eat. And I go to sleep. And I've, I've never really had a low blood sugar thing. But I woke up with a low blood sugar. And... I started acting crazy. It was just like, something's wrong, something's wrong. My husband, he pushed the red button because we didn't know how to call the nurses. And we had the whole staff in there at three in the morning. (laughs) That's when they knew I was trouble. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) It is amazing, though, you know, the codes and the buttons that you can push that people do, like so many people in just like second. That that is kind of comforting. And they were happy. They're like, thanks for waking us up. It was getting real boring around here. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, so now you're in husbands. I know some big, some big stuff happened while you're down there. Yes. Um, they brought in, they wanted to make sure my heart was gonna handle it. We had had a bone marrow. It was not in my bones. Okay. It just couldn't imagine it wasn't inside of my organs. It was around on my bladder, not in my bladder. Amazing. Wow. They brought in machines all the time and they said. You can just stay on this floor and go wherever you want, but we're just going to do your heart. They did two echo heart, the echo things on your heart uh-huh. because that's where a lot of the cancer was and it was in and out and they just couldn't imagine my heart was okay. And it was, and they just kept looking at all the organs and they did a PET scan and I, and they didn't feed me. And I told them, well, I have to have food. And so I talked to him in one of the nurses into giving me Jolly Ranchers. <laughs> Because I said, you don't want me to have a low blood sugar, do you? And so they wouldn't, wouldn't yeah, let me eat. You know what happens. I push the red you know what, I know. And then my uncle was two doors down. What? And so I decided to go visit him because I was bored. So I was laying on the bed with, on the side of the bed with him. We were chatting forever and ever and ever. And then I had, he had, anyway, he was much sicker than me. I was up and I was the healthiest sick person there. And they couldn't find me. <laughs> <laughs> So they're pushing red buttons. 
So they are looking everywhere for me. And when I walked out, they're like, we have been looking everywhere for you. Anyway, it's hilarious. <laughs> You're like, you said I could wander. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they, they ended up doing the chemo. And I couldn't eat because they wanted to start the chemo. And they did shortly after that. They did a double chemo. Oh. They didn't know if my heart was going to make it. Um, they they have to do um, an ultrasound on my arm okay. to go to my heart to get the vessels that will last. And my vessels got so bad that they had to use those that all the time. So every time they do an ultrasound on my arm to get a blood, be able to do a chemo, my doc, they, we didn't put a port in. Okay. He was too afraid of infection, and he didn't want to do that to me because it was every six weeks. Right. They did um, the chemo right there. The du they doubled the rituxan, if anybody knows what that is. That's crazy that they would do that, but they had to work because I couldn't swallow anymore. And I lost 10 pounds with the first treatment. So you had chemo, if I heard you correctly, every six weeks. Mm -hmm. uh, how many treatments did you end up having to have double treatment? I only had the one double treatment, and it felt like I was having a baby, and it was this clawing out of my stomach. It did not want to leave. It was... It was, I'm not, I'm, I, I'm pretty tough and my, and I kind of waited, I waited too long. And by the time that it was so painful, I was pretty much running out of the room and they're holding me down and saying, Oh, don't, don't, don't. I like morphine. It worked. Right. <laughs> oh my gosh. I, I, as you're talking about that, what I, what I envisioned in my mind and, you know, maybe the listener, I would be interested to hear what, what they pictured in their own mind, as you said, this clawing out of your stomach. Like when I was a kid, there was a show called The Bee. Yeah, the that's bee. right. It was like that. Yeah, that's kind of what I imagined. It's just like this this alien thing inside you, like trying to exactly be inside you, but like get away from the medicine and clawing it. Like that's what I envisioned as you were talking about that. Horrible. And I asked the doctors, my hair was down to my waist and then I had trimmed it and it was like, to my bra strap yeah. and I asked the doctors am I gonna lose my hair and they never answered really? they just looked at me because they didn't know or they just didn't want to say I mean because a lot of people don't Lots of people. a lot of people don't and I think it was shocking to them in some ways or maybe not that someone they're like we're going to do a double treatment and it, you might, your heart might not make it. I'm like, wait, wait, wait. But I get my hair. My hair. <laughs> oh my word. That, you know, that was the one thing in the TikTok when you, when you talked about that is how important your hair was to you. And um, something I can relate with in a completely different way. And, and as I think about it, just hair, it's important to us. Like we, we hold so many emotions and and how we view ourselves or how we think other people view us through our hair. I think it's a valid question. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I'm not going to lose my hair. <laughs> it's probably a pretty common, common question. And so, did you lose your hair? Well, by the time, within two weeks, it was gone. Wow. Which was really fast. Now, if I remember right, you said you you were you would reach up and like run your hands through it and just come out with handfuls of hair. 
Well, I first, I, yeah, that's right. First, I thought that I was going to get past it. I made it two weeks. I'm like, hey, I'm, I know I'm extra special. I'm going to get past this. Right. And I went to curl my hair. And I remember just taking that big, long curl and pulling it out. And my hair came out with it. Oh, wow. Shocking. It was so shocking. And at that moment, like, what do you, what do you think in that in that moment? Crap! I have a, my son's getting married on Saturday. <laughs> How are we going to keep this hair in just for the pictures? Right. Oh my gosh! And were you able to? It's crazy. I it it didn't last. I called my friend, who's a beautician, and it was a big deal. I got a spunky haircut like you. We said let's just do the short haircut because the long hair coming out is horrid. Plus your head hurts. So we did a cute spunky haircut. And I figured, oh, I'll have that for a while. I had it for two days. It was coming out so fast. Wow. That by the wedding, I was getting very big bald spots and it was painful. I didn't dare wash it because it would fall out. Right. So I got the haircut, never washed it, used gel to keep it to my head. I could just pull it and it would just come out. You can see that in my TED talk also. You can see that. We've actually videoed it. I just wanted to embrace these moments and remember every last moment. Yeah. For those of you who, again, are familiar or not familiar, uh, we'll make sure that we leave a link so that you can watch Carol's TED talk. The, the video actually was very, oh my gosh, I don't even know the word. It, it was eye-opening it was you can just feel the sense of like what she was experiencing as they as they pretty much shaved off the rest of your hair just oh i I don't have a word for it in the moment it was powerful and to watch you stand there and talk about it was it it got me right right in the heart it's crazy what hair can do isn't it oh man yeah you know i used to I've wanted to cut my hair for a long time. I used to have long hair uh, down to the middle of my, you know, my bra strap or for my shoulders, and I loved my long hair. But I got to a point I kind of wanted to cut it, and the reason I didn't is because I was so afraid people would think I was gay. <laughs> I know, and and it took it took my coworker. I shared that with my coworker one day, and and she's you know in her late twenties, and she did that response that you just did right there. Like I needed that response to be able to go, okay, this is such so totally silly. <laughs> but yeah, it was amazing to be having hair. So okay, so now you're past the wedding, you you now have your bald head. What are the next steps? How are you making it through this this treatment process to save your life? Funny shows. I just could not have negative in my home. I couldn't. And I am not a big TV watcher, a little bit. But I started watching great Netflix shows that I would laugh and laugh and laugh. And I just realized how fortunate I was compared to other people. And I am a crocheter. And I crocheted hundreds of hats for my friends. And I took them to Huntsman's every week. I had a, a cousin make me a whole bunch of fun hats and scarves. And I just, you know, I could get up for 15 minutes of a time about is all. Right. And then I have to lay back down. So it was, I just didn't, I wouldn't watch anything violet, anything that brought me down at all. I just said, I can't. And everything I did mattered. And my job, it was hard 
because I'd never really been like that before. But my job, and I had to remind myself, was to get better, was to take care of myself. And I um, did things for my teeth every day because I didn't want to lose my teeth. That's something that happens with chemo patients. Okay, I did not know that. That's, wow, you learned something new. I had no idea. Yes, my uncle's a dentist, and he just said, I'll just pay for this, just let's do this. And um, lots of, you know, keep the infection out of your mouth. And then I would put a paste on my teeth and, uh, and I have the molds of my teeth. And I did that twice a day, two to three times a day to keep my teeth strong. And so I'd watch a movie and I did that until now it just makes me sick. This stuff does, but that often happens. But I was able to do that the whole, uh, I had six treatments um, the whole time I did the teeth thing until I basically got an allergic reaction to it. My body can't take it anymore. Yeah, gotcha. And so how long would, how long did the treatment process last? You said you did six treatments. What's the time frame on that? I, you know what? It's super weird because I can't remember for sure. It's every three weeks. Okay. Every three weeks. And so, yeah, every three weeks, then you have another treatment. And did you have to go through radiation after or in all of this? You know, talking about your, go back kind of a little Olympic. I felt like when I made it through the first treatment, I got my medal. <laughs> I made it through the treatment. I didn't double, die. I thought I was going to die. Double treatment. Yeah, double treatment. Then I thought, I made it through chemo. Actually, and there's times that I almost didn't make it through chemo. I was very close to death. And people, I mean, you get fevers, you have infections. Yeah. So I made it through chemo. And I almost died several times. Emergency to the hospital. Um, just over and over. By minutes through chemo, I arrived. We get to the doctor. I'm like, I made it. I arrived. This is definitely my gold medal. And he said, I'm sorry. We did the PET scan. You still have a spot in your belly. Wow. And I was livid. I was livid. And so then I thought, I just got my gold. Right. So just one quick question that comes to mind. Being the happy person that you are, and you've made it through all these things, and now you're experiencing being livid. What was that like? When I'm livid, I'm quiet, and it's so scary. Okay. Because you've now gone completely inward? Okay. Just shaking your head, yes. When I'm quiet, everybody's tiptoeing around going, what's going on? And is that, is that because... You're not really sure how to express those emotions. Exactly. Or because you know if you do express them, there's going to be a lot of collateral damage. Both. Okay. Both. I'm not really sure what I'm thinking. Okay. I'm ticked off. Yeah. It's Christmas time. And, and I said, well, can we have the holidays? They said, you need radiation. And it has to be three times a week. And I'm like, how am I going to do this? Right. And I, and it was Christmas time. We were doing all kinds of fun stuff with the kids and I didn't want to leave at Christmas time. And they said, okay, we'll give you till the day after Christmas, you get down here. So I was going to stay with my aunt and she was going to take care of me. One of my aunts this was a baby when I was a baby. And she calls me just before that and says, I have the flu. My whole family has the flu. We're not even having Christmas and you cannot come to stay with me. So I get down there and I found out about Hope Lodge. Hope Lodge is a place where people with cancer can stay for for free. It's only been there, had only been there six months. You can get rights to the, your treatments and you're totally can be, and you can, but you have to have someone come stay with you. 
Well, my husband had already taken off so much work and I was healthy enough that we talked him into getting a doctor's order that I could stay by myself. When he dropped me off, he had taken such great care of me. All of a sudden I had to get me to wear my doctor appointments and all these things. I started crying and I just went to my room and I was bawling. And then 15 minutes later, then all of a sudden I went, what the heck? I'm alone. I can do anything I want. (laughs) I have a beautiful facility. They have so many games and different things. And I turned it around. That's pretty awesome. And that you were able to do that in a, in, in a way that you were able to feel what you needed to feel, because I think that's important. I think a lot of people in my experience, a lot of people think, oh, if I just think positively, if I don't think, then, but we've got to feel what we got to feel and then move it and then start flipping it around. So I love that you're able to do that. I had to feel and cry really hard. And then I realized I was the healthiest person there. Oh. And I, I could be up now for a half hour. I, I'm continually blown away when you keep saying that. I, I was given a week to live, then I was given a 75% chance to leave, and then you keep saying, I was the healthiest one in the, in, on the floor. I was the healthiest one in the boat. That's blowing my mind. <laughs> and it's pretty awesome. You Thank felt you. that way, but you believed that. I did. So, yes, yeah, so we have a kitchen. It's a community kitchen, and everybody has their refrigerator. And so I made just, we just started playing cards and games, and then I decided that I was going to fix a community dinner for everyone there. I, actually, so different people would come stay with me for a while. So my friend came and stayed with me. And we How made... How long were you at Hope Lodge? A month and a half. Oh, my word. Okay. I think. I'm not positive. Numbers kind of... Yeah. So... A while. Yeah. yeah, it was a while. At 18 treatments. Okay. I started making... Like, we made cookies. We went and got... Oh, I came home for, like, the weekend... And I got a whole bunch of freezer cookies that I had made freezer. I had made a bunch of cookies for my family for Christmas. I gave them frozen cookie dough for Christmas. So I took some of that and I brought it to Hope Lodge and we had cookie night and I made everybody cookies. And one girl, and I talked my driver into taking me to the grocery store because one girl was gluten-free. I'd have gluten-free and she was, uh, took care of her husband. So she wasn't, didn't have cancer. And so Betty, when she came home back, I could start singing, honey, I'm home, and I had a hard day, and I made her cookies, and and we had all the ovens going, everybody was helping make cookies, and we had a big party, and then we started doing dinners like that, and to this day, they still do that. People will do dinners. That is fantastic. For everyone. Oh, I, just, I just love all the good that can come from your story and other people who share similar stories, and, and I just, before we get to kind of start wrapping this up. I just want to say how much I appreciate you being willing to come on and share your story, something that's so personal and to share your feelings, like let us know the hard stuff, but then how you move through that and how it has assisted you. I love things like this. Like you go into this place called Hope Lodge and people who create these things, I just have the most highest regards and respect for them. And I hope that sometimes someone gets to hear this and we can just say thank you. They can hear us say thank you. And for those who are listening who may be in need of these places, there you go. Hope Lodge is one of the places that is assistance to cancer patients and their families and friends. There's a lot of places out there like that. But now you've helped create a tradition in something that was already cool and made it even cooler. 
So as you finish up your treatments and your time in Hope Lodge and, and, and you're now on the other side of this, what are some of the, the biggest lessons that you feel like you have learned and are continuing to learn? Like how do you live your life now versus how you did pre-December 2015? What's, what's different? I would imagine you treasure more. We're always working for the gold. We may get the gold, but there's always another gold. We never have arrived, oh, and we just never have. And a lot of times people will go into depression because excitement of whatever their last goal is reached, and now what next? I, I actually just made a cluster of my life and what I want to do with it, and I put in the middle eternal life, and then all the things that will get me to there. I want to help people when they're 60, when they're 50, when they're, they think they're done and I, they did this great thing in their life. They're not. And to continue learning, learn forever. What else do we have to take with us but knowledge? Don't give up. I don't care that I'm 55 and I probably, I've actually looked at it, mapped it out. I won't graduate from college. I will graduate before I'm 60. I'm thinking I, about a few months before. I have no doubt of that. And I am right here to cheer you on, and I'm going to imagine we're going to have a lot more cheerleaders cheering you on for that one. <laughs> so I'm graduating, and it's because I want to. You're not afraid of it anymore. No. You conquered math class. I conquered math class, and I still give my teachers crap. Right? <laughs> so, so learn forever. Always reach for the gold. Don't give up. There's not one gold. Right. I, I wrote down, reach for the gold, then the next. Then the, then the next, dot, then the next. Yep. Yes. How do you personally assist people in, in these very things in knowing that there's more to them than they're giving themselves, themselves credit for? From my younger adult kids, and they'll think they're like, my car broke down, my girlfriend left me, I stubbed my toe, I gained 10 pounds, whatever. Those are all bald-headed moments. And those moments hurt and they're painful but we all have them and if we learn from them just lift up and go and life is hard and when we can get through hard we can have a good life and we have hard every day absolutely we're faced with something every day we were faced with trying to get this zoom meeting to work (laughs) yes we were for two weeks in a row right but and it was my computer, and I and I wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> and all that homework. <laughs> I w- right? I wish you guys could have seen us like doing the whole sign language thing. She would actually write a note and hold it up to the monitor. <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> but we kept reaching. We kept going. And and I love that that's your that that's part of your message is to embrace the bald headed moments, the the moments when you lost your hair. Your head hurts, and you're pretty much just stuck with you, the real you, without all of the, I'm going to use the word excess or external parts. You're just stuck with who you are internally. And I love your messaging of feel it and just keep moving forward because it passes. Right. It does. So awesome. So awesome. What are three things that you live by? Be pretty if you are. Be witty if you can. But be cheerful if it kills you. Ooh, say that one more time. Be pretty if you are, be witty if you can, but be cheerful if it kills you. 
when I was at Hope Lodge, I wouldn't leave my room until I could lift others. And often it was one o'clock in the afternoon and they wouldn't let us have food in there, in our rooms. I'd sneak it though, of course. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's so awesome. <laughs> if somebody from Hope Lodge is hearing this, just punch your fingers. I'm sending it to them, they all know it. I was often late for my appointments and they'd call me and say, what are you doing? Why aren't you here? And I'd say, oh, I was making cookies. I'll get a ride, I'll be there soon. And pretty soon they just said, just come when you can, for heaven's sakes, you have to have this today. I was just busy. Part of, part of the be cheerful even if it kills you. Right, one day I was actually helping the lady get dressed. I love it. So there you have it, Carol CB. Be pretty if you are, be witty if you can, but be cheerful if it kills you. Oh. <laughs> and, and this is a woman who, like I say, she, she lives it. She knows hard moments. She has a complete understanding of bald-headed moments and all that comes with it. And if you are looking for some inspiration or someone to have a deeper conversation with in regards to an experience like cancer or something, you know, a, a death in the family or just those moments that really take you to the core of your soul, then have a go. I, I would imagine she would be more than happy to chat with you on a, on a deeper level, one-on-one, -on -one, and share even in more personal ways the things that she felt and experienced uh, without time constraints. Yes, I actually just started a um, Instagram called Bald Headed Moments. Okay. And and I I want people to actually share their own bald headed moments, things that they got through and they're better because of it. It can be anything and and you can see a few I just started it. There's like five pictures on there. So one of them is just my laundry and one's dark garbage, just garbage in our brain, garbage in our house. Are we, yeah. those so, are bald head moments. Yeah. And that's what I wanted to clarify is that these aren't, these aren't necessarily moments that like you don't have to have had cancer in order to have a bald headed moment. It can be anything where you just experience just that feeling. And so anyone can share a picture on there. Perfect. And that's on Instagram called bald headed moments. Now, if I remember correctly, we have a blog. Yes. And what's it titled? I am a happy girl. Awesome. So the blog I started that before okay. cancer and I wanted to quit it when I found out I had cancer and my husband said no. Right. They're watching to see what I'm happy girl has to say. I, I would agree. And so we'll make sure that as the listener that you again we'll put the stuff in the notes so that you have access to it. Carol, any any last thoughts? Anyone listening, you're better than you think you are, you're more than you think you are. You can do it. And Carol is living proof, living proof from being, from being given one way to live to conquering college. And I, there's one more thing I would like you to mention that you want to do, I believe it's within the next five years. You know what I'm okay. talking about? Yes, I do. Tell them, tell them what that goal is as, <laughs> as our ending comment for me. My next big goal, I want to graduate from college, sell one of my businesses, I'll turn 60, and I want to be represent Idaho in Miss America's Senior Contest. Miss America's Senior Contest. Watch yes. out for Carol's CD. Yes, because I want to tell women, you're 60 years old, and you've got a lot to offer. Absolutely. So there you have it. Life is not over even when you think it is. There's always more. And to take, take a hold of every moment that you have and make the most of it. 
even if it's just a week. Yes. Be, be happy. Be have a great day. Through. I always say have a great day and do amazing things, my friends. That's right. And I say make it a great day and go be great. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so, Carol, thank you again for coming on, sharing your story, sharing your heart, and giving us a peek into your soul and who you are. As the listener, if you've liked any part of today's episode with Carol and the Living Courageously Exposed podcast, we invite you to share it with two people. Can you imagine the impact it'll make when just two people hear it and then they share it with two people, how quickly that grows? And we also invite you to, if you like it, to share your dollars with us. It helps us to continue to bring good content, amazing messages, and people so that we can continue to share the stories of how individuals live courageously exposed and continue to open the doors for others to do the same. With that, we're going to end it like we always do and say, you got to believe in yourself or no one else can. Go be great.